Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, Surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Yeah, Father God, we just want to thank you for this opportunity to be here this morning. We just want to pray, Father, that you'd Open all our hearts to what you want to say to us. And we just pray that you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wanted to share with you some thoughts on identity and destiny. Um, I'm not actually going to refer to specific verses from the, from the uh, passage that Julie read, but rather I just wanted that to be the backdrop of, to set the scene, if you like, for the things that I share with you this morning. Can everyone hear me all right? Yeah, great. Okay. So what is identity? The Oxford Dictionary defines it as the fact of being who or what a person or a thing is, or the characteristics determining who or what a person or thing is. So what is it that determines who you are? I bet if I asked each of you as you were coming in and you weren't allowed to confer, what is your identity? I probably have about 20 different answers. Many of you might see yourselves as mothers, grandmothers, fathers, husbands, 
doctors, teachers, employees, colleagues, friends. But actually, if we put our hopes and our affirmations in these things, then we'll constantly feel like failures. Our truth and our identity must be in Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, Peter says that we are chosen. just want each of you just to close your eyes just for a moment. And just quietly, under your breath, say, I am chosen. Say, he chose me. Even if you had been the only person on the earth, he still would have sent Jesus to die just for you. Because that is how much he loves you. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you because he loves you. There is nothing that you can do to make him love you any more. And there is nothing that you can do to make him love you any less. Okay, you can open your eyes now. Not only are we chosen, but we are also sons and daughters of the king. And if we are sons and daughters of the king, then that makes us royalty. And with royalty comes significance. The significance comes from not what we do, but from who God has made us to be. We have inherent value and significance because we're children of the king. Instead of speaking negative, self-fulfilling prophecies over ourselves, I'm rubbish at this, or I'm a failure, whatever it is. You know what I mean, though, don't you? If we can grasp our significance, then the way that we speak about ourselves will change. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So let's speak life over ourselves to combat these negative emotions and positively affect our actions and behaviour. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but Anna, you might say, that's great. I know that in my head, but I'm just not feeling it. Perhaps you feel that God is always angry with you. Perhaps you feel he's the big bad cop in the sky, just spewing out accusations to get you to toe the line. Or the master manipulator who wants to trick you into doing the last thing that you want to do. Perhaps, and surely not at Lund Baptist, but your experience of church or religion has reinforced this view. Maybe you've not been welcomed in some churches or felt that you've been accepted because of issues in your life. Jesus spoke a lot about hypocrites, telling them to take the plank out of their own eye before they remove the speck from someone else's. Romans 3, 23 and 24 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Sometimes we don't let people get get to know us completely because we're afraid that they're going to discover who we really are. But as Julie read, God already knows everything there is to know about us, even the number of hairs on our head. And he still loves us and accepts us as we are. God is with us through every situation, in every trial, protecting, loving, guiding. He knows and loves us completely. The thing that brings ultimate satisfaction to the searching human soul is the revelation of the love of all loves. I love you for who you are, not what you could be. Many of us think that God will only love a future version of ourselves. But he loves you here on earth, just as you are right now, warts and all. We're never going to get people to turn to Jesus if we beat them over the head with rules and regulations. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we ignore sin issues in people's lives. 
But what I am saying is that it is his kindness that leads people to repentance. The Bible, this book, is God's love letter to us. A door through which we can enter into experience with the Father through Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Just want to share um, an excerpt out of this um, book, which has been my favourite book for about a year, and nothing at the moment has managed to pip it off the top spot. So it's Having a Merry Heart in a Martha World by Joanna Weaver. And um, she says, It's hard to imagine the creator of the universe wanting to know us. We feel so unworthy. That's why many of us persist in thinking that we must earn our way into heaven. That only the super spiritual can really know God. Burdened with the weight of our own spirituality, we struggle beneath a load of self-imposed obligations. I have to do this, or I can't really know God until I do that. We can spend much of our lives getting ready to know God, or backing away out of fear of displeasing God that we never get around to enjoying the intimacy with him that Jesus died for. The truth is, and if anyone wants the scripture references to these, then come and see me at the end, and I'll email them to you gladly, that God is intimate and he's involved with you. He is kind and compassionate to you. He is accepting and filled with love and joy for you. He is warm and affectionate towards you. He is always with you and eager to be with you. He is patient and slow to anger. He is loving, gentle and protective of you. He is trustworthy, wanting to give you a full life. He is full of grace and gives you freedom to fail. He is tender-hearted and forgiving. His heart and his arms are always open to you. If you can't relate to God like this, then we're going to have some time later on to respond. So just just hold that for the time being. I want to share another extract from this book, which is um, Redemption by Mike Wilkerson. Here's what's surprising about making sense of your life in God's story. The story is not about you, it's about him. He is both the author and the main character, and he has written you into his story to say something about him. Yet, if we are honest, we tend to script our lives with ourselves as the protagonists, and God in some supporting or possibly antagonistic role. Often, God is cast as a mere extra. At best, he adds to the background action. At worst, he's overlooked. Some have written God into the story as an absent father who pays no attention to the damage being done to his child. Some have made him out to be a therapist whose job it is to prop up their self-esteem. Some treat God as a debtor, holding him responsible for their pain and believing they are owed a free pass for sins of pleasure and escape in trade for their undeserved suffering. Others live a life of despair in a world they believe is controlled by a heartless mastermind, pulling the strings of the universe with no compassion for people afflicted by evil. Some treat God as though he were the source of a better high or a better escape than their drug of choice. For others, he is known as the God of our understanding, 
and they call upon him for help to walk away from an addiction. Of course, coming to God with our broken lives is good. There is no better place to go. But we must be careful not to come to the right place with the wrong idea. Even more urgent, we must not be careful to come to the wrong God altogether, guided as we are by our distorted understanding of who he is. Rather than trying to write God into our stories, we would be wiser to sit patiently with our Father and let him tell us his. We would surely find ourselves in his story and learn that we are not defined by our hurts or our our sins as we may have believed. And as he tells us his story, we must be willing to let go of the stories we've told to make sense of our lives. We must let his story rewrite ours and sweep us up into something much greater than ourselves. So if identity is the question to who has God called me to be, destiny is the answer to the question, what has God called me to do? I don't want to embarrass anyone this morning by asking for a show of hands, but if I asked you what has God called you to do, could you answer? Do you even know that God has got a plan for your life? The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 29 that his plans are to prosper us and not to harm us. His plans are to give us a hope and a future. Now the thing is, his plans, they might not always be our plans. God's purpose for our lives is not our own good idea of what we would like to be or do. It is his plan for us. The good thing about God's destiny for your life is that it will be consistent with the way he has wired you. Because as Julie read, he created you. Not only did he make you through his creative power, but he also ordained all the days before any of them came into being. So even before you were born, God had a plan for your life. And despite your current circumstances, he still has a plan for your life. This gives significance and value to every life. If you're struggling with not knowing what God has to do for you, And I'm not saying you need a big picture. This is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. I don't have that. But it can can just be, this is what I think God is calling me to do in the next season. So if you're struggling with that, look at what skills he's given you. Look at what you're passionate about. Look at what spiritual gifts you have. And look at what you enjoy doing that fills your tank up. There's a guy called um, Marcus Buckingham from the States, as most people are these days um, and he's got his own strengths model he's uh, it's a bit like Myers-Briggs or um, strengths finder if people are familiar with that and he says that 73% of us use our strengths just once a week <laughs> which I just just thought was incredible so let me just quote you his definitions because I really think that they're spot on so he says a weakness is something you can do but in the act of doing it it actually depletes you as a person. I'm just going to read that again. A weakness is something you can do, but in the act of doing it, it actually depletes you as a person. So in other words, it expends emotion, it expends energy, it expends life from you. Conversely, a strength is something that you feel alive when you do it. And it's about saying to God, God is, I've got this talent from you, God this gift or this skill, and I'm going to invest it and steward it um, and steward the things that God has given you to do. 
Because God in his very nature is a redeemer, then it's also likely that he's going to use the areas where you've been hurt or wronged or have sinned or are weak. He's going to use you in those areas to minister to others. Because God, these are the very things that God is redeeming in you and making you strong in. For some of you, that really might be hard to hear. You might say to me, yeah, but Anna, why did this happen to me? Or what about X, Y, Z? I'm not going to give you some glib theological answer. I don't know. But what I choose to do in these circumstances is just to acknowledge the pain and the confusion and bring that to God. If I need to cry, I cry. If I need to shout, I shout. And I'm honest with God and say, but I don't understand. But then I declare the truth about what I do know. I go back to the Bible and I stand on the word of truth of who God is and consequently who we are in him. And I wield that sword of the spirit, the word of God. So, for example, I might say things like, I know that it is Christ who gives me strength and that God will take care of my needs according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. I do not have to be afraid because God has given me a spirit of God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, and that he has plans to prosper me and not to harm me. And I do this over and over until I have peace. Cry, shout, talk, and declare truth, and give him the glory. He is good all the time. God wants to complete a good work in you. Perhaps some of you have had prophetic words sat over your life. Perhaps some of you have had prophecies about, I don't know, maybe being a missionary or uh, starting a business, leading worship. I, I don't know. But if it hasn't happened yet, don't get disappointed. When I was working for New Frontiers, two colleagues of mine were flying to Russia on Aeroflot, which for those of you who aren't familiar with that airline, It is as bad as it sounds. And apparently the pilot, things had been pretty bad, and the pilot had actually switched on the fasten seatbelt signs, and I think he even told people to get into the brace position. That's how bad things were. And um, Al, one of the guys, says to Martin, the other, have you got any unfulfilled prophecies on your life? And he thinks for a moment, and then he says, just one. So Al says, what's that? Martin says... I'll be the sole survivor of a plane crash. (laughs) So you'd be pleased to know that Martin was just pulling our leg and they got out of it with just some increased adrenaline in their systems. But if God has spoken something, then it will come into fruition. Maybe you've never had a prophetic word. Prophecy is just a message that is communicated from God to a prophet or someone with a prophetic gift, which Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians which the prophet then communicates to others. Therefore, for those of you sat there thinking today that you've never had a prophetic word, the Bible is prophetic. It is full of prophetic words. The prophetic word I'd like to give to all of you today is from Jeremiah 31, verse 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. Over the past eight years or so, I've had several prophetic words from various prophets about speaking from a platform. And so today, here I am. But there's always a faith element involved when God asks you to do something. 
And we always have a choice whether we want to step into it or whether we want to turn away from it. So when I had all those prophetic words, what did I do? Did I sit at home waiting for the phone call from the Royal Albert Hall? No. Every opportunity, I started to speak to groups of um, you know, young women, ladies, where, whoever would have me. And, um, but basically, it's just about stepping into what God has given you and what God's called you to. And actually, when we're faithful with the little, then he will add to it and reward you with more. So what is God speaking to you about at the moment? When you're reading your Bible, what verses are jumping out? What's coming through from your prayer times? What's stirring in your soul? He has a unique purpose and a plan for each one of your lives. And it won't look the same as the person sitting next to you. Everybody say, thank the Lord. (laughs) God will help you to be all that you can be. But he will never help you to be someone else. When you focus your attention on who you want by comparing yourself with someone else, you lose sight of who you need to become. I was reading one of the um, UCB Word for the Day things recently, and it was talking about the 18-40-60 rule. Apparently, when you're 18, you worry about what everybody's thinking about you. When you're 40, you realise that it doesn't really matter what they think about you. And when you're 60, it dawns on you that most of them weren't thinking about you at all. God made us all to be different and to reflect the different facets of his character. It says in the Bible, we are all one body made up of different parts. Let's rejoice in who God has made us to be and recognize that we've each got a role to play. When I was preparing this message, I really felt that God wanted to reignite that first love in the over 50s here. So I thought Ian's announcement this morning was actually quite timely. just want to say, if you're over 50 in this church, you are not over the hill. You are not on the heap. He can still accomplish great things in you and through you. But I wanted to encourage you to be childlike in your relationship with Jesus. Now, there's a difference between, between childlikeness and childishness. I'm not advocating that you're childish, but what I am saying is actually let's look at our Father God like a daddy and be childlike with that. Have a childlike attitude of what that means and what that means to who we are in him.